morning, listeners. Crab has just tweeted a very unflattering. I'm in the process of, of tweeting it, so I can you know yeah. you can still jump in. I've just been stuck in Canberra traffic. We've, we've snuck a little like what is it, like a 35 minute window in our days. Uh, morning after the budget, it's 8 a.m. I've got to get on a plane shortly. Both look like have... hell. <laughs> and the picture I've taken makes it look like it actually looks like we're in bed together. <laughs> But it would be difficult to find a shinier pair of faces. I know, like, looking more bleary-eyed. Well, because we both had... I, I sent Crab a um, text last night or an email about midnight to say I just have got no prospects of getting to sleep because the perils of live television is so wound up and wired. Um, so I said, I don't know about this podcast in the morning. And then you replied immediately, oh, well, I'm still awake. I can't get to sleep either. Anyway, so we've dragged ourselves out of bed. These are the things we do for you people. You know, like... When I used to work in newspapers, budget night used to go so differently because like, you'd write all your stories in the lock-up. I mean, the lock-up is the greatest thing. You turn off your phone for six hours and no one can hassle you. And then you file everything. You kind of get out, take a bit of a general sniff of the reaction, file a few hasty pies, and then go off and have a lovely dinner somewhere. And no. uh, then go out on the rantan. <laughs> now, no. like with 24-hour news and working for a broadcaster, it's just... Put the adult nappy on. Oh <laughs> just yeah. Yabber for hours and hours, and then then have to go on Facebook. I am violating my no coffee rule. Thank you very much. But to have my annual coffee. Well done, you. I know. I feel like a little pat on the head is warranted. Um. Yeah. The. You know what the the lockup thing with the no electronic devices, which whenever I go in there, I think, oh, this is a bit annoying. Uh, actually, quite frankly, I would not get all of the work done that I needed to do if there if I had an yeah, electronic device in there because I, from the second I walk in there at one o'clock until I step on air at 8 a.m. 8 p.m. I am I would say working to the absolute full capacity and limits of my brain. What it is actually is also a powerful and actually in context quite frightening demonstration of what your brain is still capable of when you're not on Twitter the whole time, right? You're just like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a silly human. I understand fiscal consolidation. Wow. I, I find it so challenging to get across all of the detail that if pretty much anybody stops and says, um, you know, hello to me, I just am in a state of like, uh, uh, don't, don't talk to me, I'll just get away, get away. There was this moment in the lockup yesterday, I'm not kidding, where like I wasn't sitting anywhere near sales and, I mean, indeed we weren't even allowed to speak to each other on television last night, I think, because <laughs> yeah. this is a very sensible, sensible strategic. We were situation. put in like different <laughs> physical locations. <laughs> I know the um, the ABC the event planners just like nope. They're just going to talk about novels if you get them together. So, like, just to keep them in different areas of the building. I was out with Chris Ullman writing it right round with a Magna Carta in if, Parliament House. I would have been like, Crab, what do you make of Scott Morrison's first budget? You would have been clang. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. Um, like last yesterday in the budget lockup, I'm trying to get to the bottom of um, this thing that they're doing with the um, national disability insurance scheme, where they're kind of like harvesting all of these um, kind of savings from various portfolio areas, including like quite a big clawback from pensioners, which is going to be quite contentious, and pouring it all into a fund to um, uh, help the NDIS through its funding difficulties. Anyway, so I'm on my way out to find a treasury pointy head who can explain how this all works to me. This is the great thing about the budget. It's the only time of the year where you have genuine permitted access to public servants who will not blow a rape whistle down the phone when you call them. It's so good. Anyway, I'm on my way out. Sales, I just hear sales go, grab, from across the road. Across the room. I'm like, yeah, what? She says, can you get me a cup of tea? I'm like, what? <laughs> the words 
ordinary but not bad, if even you know what the, I mean. Even the NT News, I mean, they've just, they've knocked the crock off the front, which is disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And they've got, hey, Scotty, we're here, with an arrow on the map of, uh, map of Tassie, her Dis- map of Australia to the Northern Territory. I think that's an implicit accusation. Disappointing about NT them. News. I know. No, because we're out on the road, um, I've got my, what I my night shirt, which is actually a series of NT News headlines. Oh my God. It's, yeah. Um, it's been worn so many times that it's like really it's legitimately and grubby and, <laughs> and It looks like what you'd wear if you'd worked at the NT News for, you know, a couple of years, which is how I like to think of myself. Yeah. Pretty intrepid. There was a good headline today, actually, but it was nowhere near the front page. I saw it in the Australian. Now, their front page um, splash headline is ScoMo's super tax trick, and then there's a... Um, cartoon leak of him kind of, you know, being a magician. Um, but somewhere towards the back, they were on an article about um, company tax reform. They referred to him as slow-mo, which I think is actually really... Uh, oh, yeah. It's actually not a yeah, bad yeah, yeah, um, yeah. call. That's I reckon that maybe that should have gone closer to the front because, you know, this sort of big initiative in this budget that gives the... I mean, that gives Scott Morrison... And the sliver of an opportunity to call it a plan yeah. is that, that it's got this sort of stepped introduction of lower company tax rates for increasingly bigger companies over the next 10 years. But yeah, you're looking at kind of a 25% company tax rate in 10 years' time, you know, when the Turnbull government will just be yeah, so strolling into its fourth term. So slow-mo is pretty... Um, yeah, I like slow-mo. Cool. Mm. Sorry about the noisy laughter of those gentlemen in the background. They're celebrating <laughs> financial advisors. They've been on the bolly all night, like, <laughs> massively confusing superannuation changes. Another bottle, Sean? Yesterday, it was hilarious yesterday was because Scott kept saying all the time, um, this, isn't, this isn't a budget, it's an economic plan. <laughs> just like, dude, I've got like 28 kilos of budget papers yeah. here. It sure looks like Plus a budget to me. Five million, five billion more on cigarette tax. Yeah, that's a budget. Yes, yeah, as you said to me, it has glimpses of budget. <laughs> it has budget views. Um, there was, it was a really funny, during the press conference, I, I had a kind of out-of-body experience because he kept saying, this isn't a budget. It's just not even a budget. I'm thinking, what? And then he was saying... Um, you know, who cares about the winners and losers? The Australian people are over that, you know? Like, there's so five minutes ago. And then he was talking about the, you know, the tax cut for people on 80 to 87K or whatever. And he's like, that's not even really a tax cut. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're in this kind of bizarre, hallucinogenic, Jim Morrison-style <laughs> desert session now where we're just like, no. <laughs> Things are not as you are like. here. Yeah, anyway, um, I love what... how yes, Scott said, listen, it's not winners and losers. Australians are over that. And then I noticed in your column this morning you've gone, look, let's take a look at it. Rich versus poor, top <laughs> yeah. hats versus high hats, <laughs> cats versus dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm much for the dogs in this one. Yeah, I'm a cat person myself. Same, actually. So um, have you, I, I'm, I've read a few things that are non-budget, I don't know how. Um, yeah. But I've been going through this. Oh, um, sorry, before you get into yeah. that. Oh, geez, dare I even raise it? Have you finished the Malcolm Turnbull book? I have. Do you know what? Today is the last day that I can make changes to the manuscript because wow. I asked them to keep it open until the budget, just in case some crazed thing happened. Yes. Um, I don't think anything crazed has no, happened, so I'm just going to post that it. sucker off. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's been printed in Australia. It's out in about two weeks or something. So, wow. yeah, May the 16th, I think. Wow. So, um, so yeah, it's done. 
So let me guess, so on, the, on the 15th, Malcolm Turnbull's going to decide this is it for him after I'm all. I'm actually <laughs> a woman and I'm going to become, you know, Marie a financial advisor in Maroochydore. And I'll be like, yeah, that was, I should have picked that. <laughs> that is the thing, as I think I've said to you um, through tears <laughs> many times before, it's a really stupid idea to write um, something of any length about a political figure halfway through an election campaign <laughs> because... Uh, funny old things always oh, happen. Very do you think hard. the budget, by the way? Do you think it's a? Um, do you think it's a kind of? It, you know, it's it's not really a pre-election budget in the sense that it gives lots of people lots of stuff. And mm. um, although there's a, a lot of unannounced um, funding that will come out in the next um, couple of weeks, do you think it's a um, a campaign that helps them? I mean, do you think it's a budget that helps them for the campaign or, or doesn't? <laughs> I just realised that my microphone had been upside down rubbing on my clothes the whole time. So, oh, oh, that's geez. nice for Brendan. I hope that's going to be okay. Yeah. It's um, got a lot of cardigan interference, <laughs> this podcast. Really We're both sitting here in loud, lovely car. Oh, my God, I've done the same thing. Oh, geez. oh. This is an absolute... <laughs> It's going to go like that. It's, could be, this could be pretty ugly. Anyway, uh, the people ask for wife lo-fi. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <sighs> because I panicked about that. I didn't even hear what you just asked me. What was oh, it? You were too busy. Fuzzled. I was too busy going, with your lapels. Horror. horror. Um, okay, so what I'm saying is, what I'm asking you is, do you think that this is um, kind of a, a clever election budget? You know, like, do you think it'll help them electorally or hinder them? Oh, look, it looks... Um, I think it looks fairly responsible, like, you know, there's not a big cash splashes and all that sort of stuff, yeah. so I think that's always, that always helps. Um, it's hard to know. I, I can't see... I don't think it's a negative, but I don't necessarily think it's a positive either. It's a positive insofar as it's, as I say, responsible, but I don't know that there's anything in it. The one thing that I thought maybe might appeal to people is the um, youth employment thing. Yeah where you can, uh, if you're a business, um, they're going to give kids 200 bucks a week to go and do some training and then to do, like, internships for businesses who are looking for people and then hopefully might lead to a job at the end of it. So I thought, um, you know, that that's quite a contrast to, hey, we're slashing the doll, see you in six months. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, out of here. <laughs> so, uh, well, I think, like, yeah. that's what I think is clever about, like, a lot of the measures are kind of, product, you know, even the... Um, where they're stinging people, they've kind of made it work, like it's a productive, it goes somewhere rather than just, you know, oi, you, get off welfare. Like the um, young unemployed are treated very differently in this budget from the way they were treated in 2014. But also, you know, like um, where they've kind of snipped from welfare, for instance, they've put the proceeds into funding the NDIS. So, like, there isn't that kind of real... Shift. Thank you very much. We wanted some food so that this sound quality will get even worse. <laughs> you are welcome. Thank you. Oh, that one's over here, I think. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Oh, I've got the bacon. Thank you. Do you want to eat something while I talk and then uh, you, I'll eat while you're talking? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Hey, um, thank you. Um, what do you think of the look of this? It looks a bit odd, doesn't it? pretty bad, actually. <laughs> That's not what I think a corn fritter looks like. No, it, it, looks, it looks like a sort of like a, it looks like an insurance file. <laughs> it's very buff. I think it's meant for those financial advisors over there. It's their documents really it, is. it really but is. To me, that's not a corn fritter. To me, that is a pancake with glimpses of dust corn. on it. And I think there's, yeah. In much the same way that Scott's economic, Scott's budget, you know, Scott's 
hang on, let me just work out what I'm trying to say. In much the same way that Scott's budget is an economic plan, not a budget, this is sort of like not yeah, a contract. Yeah, I'm photographing it just yeah, for evidence. it's pretty dodgy, isn't it? Oh, I like, see, like, anyway, let me have a taste. I just could never get, get to eat breakfast out, and now I'm thinking I've really blown my opportunity, because this is just, oh, like, anyway, oh my God, it's rough. Oh, dear God. Well, at least we haven't named this establishment. No, I know. We can really go the top. <laughs> I haven't even had a bite of it. Oh, no, I have a bite. Oops. I have a bite. Say what you think, and then I'll... Thank goodness I've got bacon and lime to cover up that. It's <laughs> mm. miraculous, really. I've managed to combine egginess and leatheriness. It's terrible. To just... And also, total absence of flavour. Wow, that is really, really bad. It's actively nasty as well. <laughs> you don't see that too often. Oh, yeah, and I don't get to eat out breakfast either, and I always look forward to it, so that's pretty disappointing. Wow. Mm. And that appears okay. to be a tinned asparagus. Oh, no. Oh, what? God. What? What? It's <laughs> terrible. Right. Okay. All right, I'm just going to oh. lie back and think of <laughs> the silence of the fritters. <laughs> That's, yeah. Is it possible that these were cooked in a microwave? I'm getting that real vibe. Oh, that's just horrifying. Anyway. Well, for more gripping sorry, breakfast <laughs> analysis, tune in next week. Oh, never mind. All right, now um, tell me right. when you're ready. Okay, so I just totally unintentionally, I seem to now have moved into a jag of reading sort of quasi actual kind of memoirs about people dealing with tough life experiences. Right. And, like, I normally steer away from that thing, you know, like my brave battle with you know, frontal lobotomy slash cancer slash, you know, right. traumatic event. Have, do you not like that styles? I don't like the kind of the, I don't like the quick turnaround ones where, you know, someone you've read about in the news is right. tw 20 seconds later, it's my battle one, you right. know, because I think that they tend often to be very, um, you know, there's, there's a style to them which is very um, kind of predictable. Right. But... So I've read two in the last couple of weeks that um, have just absolutely blown me away. And um, the first one is um, by a writer called Julia Lee. Mm -hmm. So she's um, a successful Australian novelist. She's written screenplays. Um, she wrote a novel called The Hunter, which is very successful. Oh, yeah. And she's written this little book. It's not very long. And in fact, um, I read it in one sitting mm -hmm. and I could not put it down. And it's her experience with um, IVF, mm -hmm. right? So she's like 38, she um, rekindles a romance with a kind of um, university boyfriend, they get married, um, and she really, you know, develops this, a strong urge to have a, have a baby. He's had a vasectomy, he's been married before, so they kind of work through all of that. But what it becomes is just this quite... Like it, it combines quite cl a close account of the, the technical detail of what happens to her, you know, right. and the tests and the injections and all that sort of stuff. But also with this incredibly um, ruthless account of her own state of mind mm. um, and the state of her relationship, which completely falls apart. Right. Um, Permanently? The, yeah. Wow. And, and then um, what happens then when she's by herself and wants to continue trying oh, to have a right. child. And look, I think it's quite an unusual book because it's it's absolutely, she's very brutal on herself hmm. and um, particularly on her like responses to the situation, her responses to her like partner and 
um, I just found it uh, mesmerising. It's beautifully written as well. Right. Um, it's, yeah, it's a great oh, book. Okay. That's good because I had uh, heard something about that, but I thought, oh, oh, I won't pick that up. Like, I feel like, you know, I've had friends go through IVF. I know, you know, that it's not very pleasant and, you know, yeah. don't really need to read about it. But that's interesting. It obviously does bring that, something different but, to it. Um, and it's also, she kind of... It's full of grey areas too, which I found really interesting about it. You know, I think that, um, you know, often you kind of read accounts of, you know, oh, my, my overwhelming need for a baby and it overwhelms everything in my life. But mm. she also talks about points at which she kind of thinks, no, no, I'm doing the wrong thing. I need to... Um, I need to put my career first, you know, like there's, there's substantial elements of doubt everywhere. Right. Really laced through the book about the relationship, about the work, about the baby. And I just, it's, it's, it seems to me like one of the most legitimately, brutally honest accounts of something like this that I've read. And of course, you know, it's, um, it's just, it's written, um, really magically as well. I, yeah, I thought it was great. I really okay. liked What's it. What's it called? And it's called The Avalanche. Oh, The Avalanche, okay. And it's, yeah, like I said, it's it's little. Um, I've noticed with um, female friends that there can be, I think, in people's lives a period of real unhappiness between the age of about 35 and 45 because it, there's often, you might have thought your life was going to go one way and it hasn't worked out like that and it feels a little out of your control. So, for example, if you've really wanted to have a family but you don't have a partner you have this mm. sense that time's running out because um you know if I don't get pregnant soon it's not going to happen and then you know what happens or it doesn't happen or whatever but this period around am I going to have children um or am I not going to have children mm. is often something that makes people extremely unhappy because a lot of it's out of their control right. and it's also and then, people are relentlessly asking you about it yeah, too, yeah. You know? and then the window at a certain point closes and so this uncertainty about which way is my life going to go because that's two drastically different paths the uncertainty around that um and the giving up of certain dreams if that's required um is really hard but then i think when um women hit about 45 and it's clear which way that's gone they become much happier because it's then settled the, the question is settled yeah and i guess it's kind of where julia lee ends up is kind of reconciling you know that great kind of um, fork in the path that she's got to. You know. Does she end up having a baby? I don't know really whether to. Um, mm. I don't really know whether to share that. Spell it out. Okay. Um, I, won't, I sort I of think. hope she. Hearing this straight, I sort of hope she doesn't. Even though she obviously really wants one, so I guess I should hope that she does. Mm. But I feel like. Um, I don't know, because that's another thing I feel like I've seen with people is people who are desperate to have children go to great lengths to do so and then do so. Often that can also be followed by, I've seen in various friends, depression. Because it doesn't it doesn't necessarily complete you or... Well, it I does change your life, but not necessarily for the better. Well, I think potentially... Um, <clears throat> Particularly when you are a very successful person, or you, you know, you've you've had success in your career, and you undertake this new project, if you can't succeed at it, it becomes um, a more pure objective. You know, like mm. I've got to get, I've got to get this right, and then I'll, you know, deal mm. with what happens after that. Mm. You know, there is nothing so clarifying as an unobtainable objective, mm. right? 
it becomes something much more simple. Particularly um, when, as I say, it's out of your control. Like the, the things that normally would lead to success in your life, like hard work yeah. and persistence, don't necessarily in this area. And so I think that's a hard thing for type A personalities to yep, deal with. Definitely. Oh, well, that um, sounds good. <clears throat> now, the other one that I've absolutely just hoovered up in the last um, week is by Tim Elliott. Now, he's a Fairfax writer, mm -hmm. um, and he's written a memoir about his father. It's called Farewell to the Father. Now, he wrote an article about it, like, in the magazine, I think, Good Weekend, mm -hmm. a while back. It which, was really good. Right, I which I missed. I don't know right. how I missed that, but apparently, like, it's the most read oh. article mm -hmm. of all time or something um, mm. from that magazine, like people just went, like were incredibly moved by it. Mm. I totally missed it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but the book I've read and I just absolutely raced through it. So I think in, in the article it's, I mean, he talks about my father, the madman. So his father was a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> who led a you know, really challenging and busy professional life. They were very um, well-off, lived you know, on the Sydney beaches. And, um, but he said, at, you know, at night, my, my father turned into a raging madman. Like, so he had really um, serious um, kind of bipolar, depressive issues, um, would go into these rages of kind of um, self-interest uh, and... Um, paranoia and rages children and so on and the story it, it's a very um, it's a it's a beautifully told account it's um, again fabulously well written um, Tim who's the narrator talks about his um, three siblings and his mother who's this kind of quite fabulous woman um, and how they try and deal um, with uh, his father's illness and and <coughs> Look, it's, and, and, and it ultimately it becomes an account of Tim's own kind of struggles with, with depression. Um, and what it deals with, I think, which is so interesting, is Tim's own feelings of guilt about being unable to help his father and this kind of incredibly robust love that, that keeps on coursing through this relationship even though his dad is so incredibly difficult to live with. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a kind of a hard book to read in some ways because... Um, it's um, it's it's quite searing at times, um, but I thought it was such an intelligent look at the tangle of emotions that um, the children of parents with quite profound mental illnesses experience. Right. Like this amazing kind of cocktail of love and shame and guilt and anger and hatred. You know, it's 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 very well kind of um, evoked in this book, right. um, which is really moving. Yeah, I like his work and his writing generally um, and that's book sitting on my desk in a pile of things waiting for me to oh, read. Oh, do so, it. No. Yeah, I'm very keen to read that. I, do, I did read the original article which I thought was really amazing and just incredibly well written, so I'm keen for that. The other thing sitting on my desk that I'm dying to read is um, Nick Earls, you know, the Brisbane oh, writer. Yeah, yeah. So he has written, well, over the course of the year, is releasing five Novellas. So instead of writing one novel, he's he's done five little books. Is that done for tax purposes? 
But the first one's called Gotham, um, and I've seen a few people say what a great read it is. I think the second one's called Venice, but I just haven't had a chance to get to it yet. But I, I really like New Girls. I remember years ago, oh God, nearly 25 years ago, it must be now, reading Zigzag Street, which I thought was very funny. And it was so great cause to read something set in Brisbane, because yeah. hardly anything's ever set in Brisbane. So, and it was set in Ashgrove, which was where I lived at the time, so... Yeah, I always have liked his work, so that's sitting there waiting to go. Um, so all these great books I haven't got around to reading, but I am up to date with Scandal Season 5, <laughs> which just continues to get worse and worse and sillier and sillier and sillier. Um, season 5? Yeah, I know. You're a machine. Oh, what, you know, it's so just... what do you get home from work? I mean, I know that you don't go to sleep easily after you've finished work, so mm. that's why you have to watch absolute shit on the telly for about four hours. <laughs> no, I usually watch... Um, I usually go and lie down in bed and then watch like half an episode of something and then, and then fall asleep slumbering on the pillow. Mm. Mm. Or then do a bit of reading or whatever. Um, yeah, but it's just, um, it's trash, but it's sort of just entertaining trash. And it's set in Washington, which I always like, so it's good fun. So what keeps you coming back about that show? Olivia Pope's clothes. Who's <laughs> the main character? She's got really great clothes. Um, you don't ask for much, do you? <laughs> Um, man, I'll tell you what I do ask for. A better corn fritter than this in the future. But look how you've just eaten it all anyway. Oh, That's what, like... I think, I'm, who knows where my next meal today is coming from. That is true. Um, you've got a load at the beginning of a parliamentary day, really, Absolutely, because, you? you know, I just don't know when I'll get to eat again. I'm just waiting for, um, to see if the Prime Minister would like to do the show this evening. Oh, OK. Yes, but well, given that you've got yet. that incredibly flirty relationship with him, <laughs> what's that... <laughs> There was a story the other day. Oh, in the, was, was it in the Herald? So or, silly. I can't even, no, it wasn't. Oh, I can't remember. It's just, mm. just stupid. Marvelling about what's going on <laughs> that he keeps coming on your show. I'm like, well, it could be about the million viewers <laughs> and the lengthy format that allows him to waffle on to <laughs> his heart's content. The or it could be the Foxy presenter. I mean, yeah, one or the other. I don't know. Look, I mean, it's a well-known fact that the reason that John Howard always oh, yeah. came on 7.30 when Kerry O'Brien was the host was that he just had the hots for Kerry. Oh, they were totally doing it. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was a secret deal that was going on. They both fancied each other and that's why John Howard came on. Yeah, it was nothing to do with the direct line to the gigantic audience <laughs> ten times the size of any other political program. Um, Hashtag don't tell Jeanette. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, so who knows, if that's what my day ends up holding then I'll be sort of skedaddling out of here and frantically well, You'll be carrying this corn fritter right down the <laughs> bottom of your oh, yeah. digestive tract, I predict. Oh, for it's like eating an inner tube. I know. I, it's like eating something... Except less flavour. Less flavour, exactly. <laughs> oh, that really is diabolical. I know. Anyway, we are at our um, 29 minutes, 55 seconds, four, three, two... <laughs> You're not on television now, love. <laughs> Um, so we'll leave it there. And <clears throat> chat 10 people. Stop haranguing us about doing podcasts. I know. I know I'm just going to tap We can't the go street. out in public. <laughs> people always haranguing us. I know. Look, look, it has actually, you know, been a bit slower in the last um, six weeks. And that's because we've been making um, When I Get a Minute. And that has taken a bit more time because it involves, like, cameras and hairbrushing and mm -hmm. sales getting up at 4.30 a.m. <laughs> now. That series is done. Um, That's right. We're, can, we're, all the episodes are still on iView, so yep. you can go away and watch it if you would, if you wish. But we will be back with our extremely irregular, badly produced quality podcast. Cardigan heavy. 
that'll make you unedited podcast that'll make you guys yearn oh, yeah. for the television. Roll around in it. For the finely crafted television. So this is what you get for hustling us non-stop. Nothing is crap. Well, that's a good night from this cardigan. And good night from this one. <laughs>